life of hearing a for getting a word from God and getting a sermon together. And I thought, Satan must not want to get this one out, okay? Um, but I have just felt this just tremendous uh, pressure, like there was just some kind of cloud over me all week. And it's like the devil was whispering into my ear that, um, that God wasn't going to move anymore in our services, that people were going to stop coming in. And he just consistently lied to me all week. And then God has proven him to be a liar right now. And so I'm learning, I'm learning, y'all be patient with me, I'm learning to trust God with you. Um, I know sometimes we think put pastors on a pedestal, but we're in this thing together. Yeah, we're in this thing together. So don't let him lie to you. And God's, God's teaching us to see. We're going to be looking at John chapter 9 if you've got your Bibles. But, but God is teaching us how to see again. And sometimes he's going to do that. Because sometimes things get in the way and they begin to blind us. And we begin to live out our existence uh, really in the flesh. When God's way of seeing is completely different than what the physical way of seeing is. And what I've found is, is that um, if we're not looking correctly, we'll miss out on the miracles that God has placed right in front of us. And we'll get these blinders on that can't see God doing anything in our lives. And our situations and circumstances begin to inform us and we begin to shape a wrong image of God and who He really is. And so God wants to open our eyes this morning. And the way God opens our eyes is sometimes with unconventional methods, right? So the title of my message this morning is Unusual Means to an Extraordinary End. Unusual Means to an Extraordinary End. Now, we're going to be talking about spit and mud this morning. So uh, it's going to get really deep theologically here, okay? Um, Jesus used spit to heal three times in the scriptures. Mark 7, Mark 8, and John 9. Now, this seems uh, maybe a little strange, right? But in using this spit and the miracle that we're going to be talking about this morning, he opens up a man's eyes so that he can see. How many of you know seeing is important? A recent survey uh, interviewed people, and they found out that losing your sight was one of the top four fears within these certain group of Americans that were polled. And I can understand that because my wife says I drive like Ray Charles. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> she did. Hey, I took two hair pills because my mom got those for me. 
one time I took a couple of these pills and now I'm uh, addicted to hair vitamins. So <laughs> you can't win. You can't win. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You can't win. Now, if you were going to ask somebody, <laughs> if you were going to ask somebody to sell both of their eyes for $10 million, almost anybody would not be willing to do that. Why? Because there's something about seeing and enjoying that which you're able to purchase. That our eyes are of a certain value that almost supersedes monetary means. That if we're to hand off our vision, then we're going to have to be dependent upon somebody else to get us where we need to go. So when we hand over vision, we're really handing over our independence and individuality and saying something else or someone else guide me to where I need to be. So sometimes it's hard to hand our vision over to Jesus. Because part of our independence is in there. Part of how we're going to be able to see and navigate and what we would do with our own intuition is then is going to be thwarted because now we're going to have to see in a different kind of way that would make us feel like we're blind sometimes. We would have to walk by faith and not by sight. That a different kind of seeing is what Jesus is requiring. And that's why he says in Matthew 5, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. So Jesus interprets our vision as mere windows for the soul and not as invaluable objects that can't be replaced. Jesus is wanting us to see in a new kind of way that we would see in a more profound way that goes beyond physical eyesight, but a seeing that comes from the heart. John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as he, talking about Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Did you get that? Jesus saw. Now watch this, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, Jesus saw this man. The disciples merely had questions about sin and about meaning. But Jesus actually saw this man. And so this was a first century Jewish construct where we all look for meaning, right? We want to know why did bad things happen to this person, right? We're all, in our, even in our own life, why did this happen? Or why did my marriage go south? Or why did this or why did that? So the disciples are, we've got Jesus here with me. Let's try to navigate this really tough question. And this first century Jewish mindset said that if somebody was born, into, was born with some kind of malady or illness, that it must have been their parents' sin that had passed on to their children. 
I know many people here today are blaming themselves for the actions of their children. And that is not your way to bear. That Jesus never says that's your way to bear. If an illness or attitude or malady has fallen onto your children, it's not your fault. So just go ahead and be liberated from that. You don't have to blame yourself. And Jesus addresses this Jewish mindset. He believed every person was born with some sort of defect. Their parents must have been sinners. Disciples are going to look at this through their cultural disposition lenses, right? All we have is the culture in which we are raised. Thank God he sent us the Bible to cut through all that mess and to cut through all our opinions and all the garbage, and now we can just go to the Word, and we don't have to listen to what culture has to say as a commentary for how to interpret life. We can look to God's Word and do that. And so Jesus begins to, to deal with this. They're looking through this small uh, lens of, of why did this happen, and Jesus is looking in a completely different kind of way. Jesus answers them, verse 3, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That any suffering that we have inherited, any illness, anything that we are going through is to manifest the glory of God in our lives where others may look and see and say, God is all satisfying because why could this person be going through that and yet be displaying such a love and a joy that's coming from a place that seems to be supernatural? I remember when I had first gotten saved, and on my job, I would carry my Bible everywhere with me. And uh, I would witness to people, and it didn't seem like anything was coming, working, right? You sow a bunch of seeds, you try to share with people, and, and sometimes they just go the other direction. You know what I mean? And it seems like all this stuff's in vain. And I remember there was this one man who I was always trying to witness to, and, and I just could not turn the corner with him. He just was almost uh, almost angry towards religion or, or the things of God. And uh, so I loved on him and picked my spots. And, and uh, one day we were all talking and, and, and some friends of mine that were there were just kind of ribbing me. And uh, they were saying, oh, Matt, he doesn't really love Jesus. And they were just being trying to mess with me and get under my skin. And so we were all having a good laugh. And this one man who I thought wasn't paying attention, didn't care, was indifferent, he stopped them and he said, you guys stop. He was a supervisor. He said, you stop right there. He says, that man loves Jesus. Wow, okay. <laughs> you know, you don't think you're cutting through, but... Something of your life is cutting through and is a witness to the world. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible talks about that the gospel that, that we're living out is actually a testimony when no one's looking to the demonic realm that what we've experienced is actually real. That sometimes our gospel isn't to people, it's to a demonic realm. 
that when those demons and the principalities and powers who see in secret and we overcome temptation and begin to live this thing out the right way, that they look on and have to notice that God did something in their heart that is real, that the gospel that we're living is being proclaimed to that realm so that they could be ashamed and have nothing left to say other than God is good and He's real and He's taken root and residence into their heart. We'll have to teach through that one of these nights. See, this is Romans 8.28 theology set to motion by Jesus in 2 Corinthians 4.16 where Paul says, Therefore I don't lose heart. Even though my outward man is perishing, my inward man is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is working for me a far more exceeding weight of glory that I can't even comprehend. That God doesn't waste anything, including our trials, including what you're going through. It's speaking something to the cosmos that Christ is king. It's something that is giving the devil a black eye. Verse 4, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, okay, here's where we get to the nitty-gritty. You ready? Having said these things, He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then He anointed the man's eyes with mud. Now, what do y'all think? We, let's bring this practice back. Y'all want to? Come down here if you need a healing. Right? No, no it's kind of strange. It's kind of weird that, that this would happen. But something that I've learned is that to get what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. See, some of us are in the same rut, which is basically a grave kicked out on both ends, and we're wondering why different results aren't coming. Well, you're doing the same thing. God's trying to get you out of your comfort zone to begin to stretch yourself and begin to expand yourself into something beyond that you've ever went before. And so it's going to require these things sometimes. Something about Jesus is He never healed the same way twice. Because Jesus wanted to make it clear this is not some method or some incantation or some formula that we can follow. This isn't magic. It's the power of God being displayed in the man Christ Jesus. That this is what's happening in Jesus' life. It's not this thing that he, if he, if he did it the same way every time, guess what we would be trying to do? And some people do that. And as they keep doing it, God passes on by and says, maybe something new should be tried here. See, we can't get dogmatic about this and plant spit and mud assembly of God church. Right? The split off of finger in the ear assembly of God which was the split off of drop the man through the roof assembly of God which was the split of I'm just getting warmed up. You guys just might as well just have a good time with me here. See, one possible reason for Jesus using saliva had to do with the contemporary beliefs of that time. 
When we hear that, we're germaphobes, right? We've got germex on every counter besides soap, right? Where you're like, do I wash my hands or do I germex or do I do both? I'm not sure. Oh, I'll wash my hands and then when I touch the bathroom doorknob, I'll use my foot to hold the door open, hit the germex a couple times, <laughs> slip out, and then let the door close. And now I am, will never get sick ever in my life because I've been purified by the germex. But see, in Jesus' day, saliva had healing properties. That the rabbis and the Romans in that day would use saliva because they thought it would heal people. So one of the possible reasons here is Jesus is being intentional. And it's not about the method, but he's saying, look here, I want to heal people. I want people to have their eyes open, and I'm willing to use this method in order to make it come about. He was wanting to uh, communicate his intention to heal, that this wasn't something accidental that Jesus was wanting to do. Another possible reason Jesus uses this mud in John chapter 9 is the original creation of man when God's in the dust forming man. and So we have the creator revisiting his creation to make all things right again. And healing the eyes of the one who couldn't see. Or perhaps, and this is my best guess, this was on the Sabbath. And the deadheads of that day had a lot of rules about the Sabbath. See, sometimes we have rules and we think they're equal to God's law. But God, those rules are not equal to God's law. <laughs> so Jesus starts kneading clay like he was making bricks. Basically what Jesus is doing here is saying, I'm going to break your rules and still heal this man. So then you're going to have to say, I either forsake my rules and go with Jesus, or I have to say that this healing power came from Satan himself. See, Jesus is putting him, Jesus isn't doing spit and mud just to whatever. He's calculating. He's got this all figured out. He, Jesus is intentional. And so he's got this all figured out. What's going to reveal their heart and offend them so that they'll have to deal with their reality and have to deal with who God is? That's why God's doing the things that he does in our life. And so here's Jesus kneading clay, puts it in his eyes, and then he sends the man on. God is healing despite the rules so that we might understand that sometimes God isn't in our rules like we think he is. Verse 7, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So on the Sabbath, you could only travel a certain amount of distance. Well, Jesus makes bricks, Right? Puts them on the guy's face, makes mud, kneads clay, breaks the rules, and then sends him into another place where he's going to break more rules. One thing I found out about Jesus is he pulls you into the fire with him. And as he's breaking all the rules, you're going to be breaking them with him. And the onlookers aren't going to like that you're breaking the rules. So they'll have to deal with the fact of, wow, God seems to be in that, but it sure isn't against my rules. I either forsake my rule and go on, or I say, no, that's of the devil and it's wrong. And this is the milieu that we're all in. We have to go with God, even though sometimes it goes against the rules. So Jesus sends this man. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, 
Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. (sighs) Okay. So Jesus heals this man who had been born blind. Jesus specifically loved this miracle of healing the blind because this was encaptured in Isaiah 61. That one of the things the Messiah was going to do was give liberty to the captives, and he was going to do this cool stuff, but one of the things that he was going to do was going to give sight to the blind. And no one up to this point had been born blind and been healed. So this should have been a time of great rejoicing, right? Think about the guy that got healed. You've never seen before in your life, then all of a sudden you can see. He, instead of getting to enjoy it and go, wow, look at this, I can't believe it. They're having to tell him he's not the person. He's having to tell them that it is him. He can't even enjoy the miracle. Because of the uh, slanderous uh, religious trying to tell him that he's, that he's not the same guy. There's no way he could be. That they were so vehement against Jesus that they'd rather deny the miracle than say it was real and go on and serve Jesus. And this is what's happening here in this text. They asked him. So they said, how, how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They're asking the blind man who got mud on his eyes and then was, had to walk away from Jesus to go to some pool and wash up where Jesus is. How lost do you have to be when you've got to ask a blind man where Jesus is? You don't ask blind people where things are. That's how heartless these men are. And when this attitude begins to set up in our heart where God's got to move this way and he can't move this way, and that begins to set up, we'll be the same ones if we go that route that will be denying the miracles that God wants to do in the church. See, those who are blind have more of a chance of seeing Jesus than those who think they can see everything. See, it comes down to humility. Revelation chapter 3 tells them, church in Laodicea, says you think you have it all together, but you're naked, blind, miserable, and poor. See, in reality, in the physical realm, they were all of those, they were rich and were imported this eye salve that actually healed eyes. And, and they, were, they were, seemed to be having it all together. But Jesus was seeing in a different way. So Jesus doesn't condemn them for being wretched, blind, miserable, and poor. He says, you're so blind you can't even see that you are. See, many times Jesus has to expose us so that we will be able to say, Jesus, heal me. That sometimes blindness is the greatest gift God could give you because if you didn't have it, you would think you could make it with your own sight. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, 
how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. And I, okay, this is the second time he's having to tell this story. And you see this? Like, he's pro he can't even enjoy being able to see, right? You would think if he went to the synagogue, they could have a big old shouting time with the people of God. But instead, he's got to tell the story a hundred times because nobody can believe it. He said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. <laughs> oh, a man has been born blind. He's healed. Sabbath. Saturday. That's football day. It's not even that, whatever. You get in trouble on Saturdays. Thank God he moved it to Sunday now. And, and there he is. He's, he's finding these things. He, he keeps the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. <laughs> so they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. <laughs> he's playing it safe. They're asking a guy who's never seen in their life to tell them who Jesus is and tell him all about him. A guy that in their day would have been considered inheriting that because his parents were sinners or some form of sin. Now they're coming to him like he's the theologian to tell them who Jesus is. See, that's how sin blinds us. Sin wants to tell you that you have all the answers. Sin wants to tell you to be critical on everything else that's going on in the church. Sin wants you to have a critical spirit because if it can get you to have that critical spirit, you'll quench the spirit every time he tries to show up. And you'll cross your arms and you'll sit there and you'll just grow old on a pew and you'll never experience God the rest of your life and Satan will laugh all his way as you go to the grave. There's something about when you just say, Jesus, I'm blind. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how many times in this church I've got asked what my vision is. My vision is I want God to show up. Let's preach the word, love on people, and there's the vision. It's not rocket science. Love on people, preach the word, follow the Holy Ghost. We'll fill the church up. It's happening. Look around you. It's happening. Well, I know I'm such a visionary. So. It's just about God. When did church quit being about God and Him showing up? When did church stop being about that and start becoming about men and their personalities and their skills and their ability to preach? When did it become about that? This thing started with fishermen that got in the fire and said, Holy Ghost, get a hold of me because I want to see you move again in my life. educated men who, who got in the fire and just said, God, baptize me in this fire and turn me loose and we'll go evangelize the world. 
The most uneducated day in the most oppressive empire that has ever lived, the Roman Empire, evangelized their generation in 50 years. We've yet to do it since. Because we've yet to say, God, I'm not leaving the upper room until you show up and speak. Is that enough vision? (laughs) I'm done. I'm tired of vision. Okay. This is all I know. This is all I know. I wasn't somebody when God come and saved me. I wasn't anybody. I was broken. I was broken. I crawled to the altar. You can ask my parents. I crawled to the altar and just wept. I didn't have any great prayers or sermons. It was a mess. And I crawled to the altar and just laid on it and blubbered like an old baby. It wasn't impressive. It wasn't impressive. It looked pretty silly, really. But my goodness, if you let God just get a hold of you, Quit putting up your arms and saying, oh, God, I'm too dignified for that. Well, that's why you're in the shape you're in. Okay. This is turning into something else. I got to get back to the text. This is just, what's going on with me this morning? Okay. Where are we at? Does anybody know what verse we're at? 17. We'll just go here. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since over here? We've read that. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of them. Okay, so now the parents are getting called. Like, can we just say a miracle happened? Um, no, we can't, apparently. So until they called the parents of the man of serious sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees now, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. So just when he thought he was going to have to not tell the story again, the parents throw him under the bus and say, tell the story again, please. Now watch where he gets. He starts to get a little attitude here. It's kind of cool. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. See, sometimes you lose your rights to the synagogue club when you begin to follow Jesus. See, the synagogue was good for a time, but now God's in the flesh. And he dwells in the inside of believers. So suddenly the dynamic of the synagogue is beginning to change. And the people have to adjust and be uncomfortable to what they've known as home and that they've had good times in, that God's getting ready to change and transition into something better. See, sometimes we're holding on to something good when God is trying to prepare us for something better. And that's what we've got to be willing 
to let God be God. That doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? But when God's doing something new, get in there and get a part of it. Begin to experience it in a new way. Verse 24, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Verse 25, he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. (laughs) Wow, I can live with that theology right there. You know, I might not know everything, but I know what happened. When I experienced God. See, true vision only comes from God. See, a lot of people could see in the story here, couldn't they? But only one saw God. So you can be in the synagogue. You can be in the midst. But not see God. See, because the seeing doesn't have to do with your eyes and your senses. It has to do with the reality of your heart. And what your heart really says about Jesus. Then they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I love this last line. Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) So the blind guy who was born blind is now the theologian who's trying to teach those who should know about God how God is and and what he should be. Verse 28, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. So he's saying, if anybody should know where he's coming from, it should be the Bible guys, right? How do I know? And I hadn't even been able to lay eyes on a Bible. That the sinner that comes in with an open heart has more of a chance than the person that knows the word, but yet is hard as a dadgum... Something, I don't even know. Coconut. (laughs) This man answered, why is this an amazing thing? Verse 31, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will and God listens. So suddenly this man knows the scripture. The psalm tells us that if we regard iniquity in our heart, God won't hear. So suddenly the man whose eyes have been opened and who's beheld the glory and grandeur of God knows more about God than these that have been studying about God their entire life. Verse 32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now watch this, verse 34. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. See, the religious would rather a man remain blind than they would face the reality of God. 
I remember at a time when I had this place on my finger and it hurt and it just would not heal. And I was away from the Lord at the time. My mom will remember this. And so the Lord, I guess, apparently spoke to her and told her to anoint it and pray for it and it would go away. I was lost at the time. And so mom comes in there with some Crisco and Hey, and I could tell she was nervous. It's always nervous to engage people that are away from the Lord because you never know if they're going to bite your head off or receive it or whatever. And uh, so she comes up and says, hey, uh, this is what God told me to do. And so I reluctantly was like, Mom, this is so dumb. Like, why are we putting oil on you? What is going on here? This is... And so I just put my hand out there. Okay, get it over with. And I just kind of went like this right here. Whatever, wait till she finished. And some time passed, and I guess the Lord spoke to her again and told her to tell me to look at my finger. So maybe a month or two, I don't remember. Some time passed, and I had forgotten about it. And so my mom said, hey, look down at your finger. The Lord told me to tell you that. And my finger was healed. I don't even know when it happened. And I remember when that happened, I looked down, and instead of saying, Praise God, I said, oh, well, you know, it was probably that oil had some properties that were antibacterial, and it probably, you know. That the hard heart doesn't matter about the evidence. That it's the reality about the condition of our heart. And that's why we've got to learn to see in a different kind of way, because it's not evidential. Many of us think if we see more evidence, if we see more evidence, then we would get involved. That's not true. It's that your heart can't see what God is doing and wanting to do in your life. So it's not new evidence you need. It's new eyes that only Jesus Christ can provide in your life. You need new vision to see with a heart that can see the hands and work of God. We need to cry out to Jesus and say, I'm tired of playing the game. I'm tired of acting like I have it all together. But in reality, my answers aren't sufficient anymore. And that seems like a bad place to be when your answers aren't working anymore. Let me tell you something. It's a good place to be. To start saying, God, I don't know. Let's start from square one again. Let's start from square one and start over. Maybe unlearn some things that wrong in my life that I've learned. Maybe take some cultural lenses off that have told me to answer things in ways that is not how you want me to answer things concerning my life. How many of you have ever felt my faith just isn't sufficient anymore? Everyone that has seen a great move of God has come to a crossroads of crisis and said, God, I'm not content in the same place that I am. I need something new from you. The great missionary, Jonathan Goforth, opened his Bible up to John in the Gospel of John and saw where it said, even greater works than these shall you do. And he closed his Bible and he wept. And he said, God, I'm not even doing these works. How in the world can I do greater? And God set him on fire from that moment. And it was from that moment on, his ministry began to take a whole other avenue in a completely different supernatural phase. 
See, before we can see again, we've got to admit that we have been blind. And it's been a willingness of blindness. It's been something that we've been willing to allow to happen to ourselves. And we've got to be willing to open our eyes again and say, God, teach me to see. There's some people in here that need to forgive. Because all you can see is that person. You look in the mirror and you even see that person. You live in the prison and the torment of what that person did to you. And you can't go past that moment. But you're in the prison of unforgiveness. And all you're seeing is them. All the while, they go on and live and enjoy their life. See, some of us need to say, God, I forgive. Open my eyes again. See, we don't forgive for the benefit of the other person or even ourselves. We forgive so that we can see again. We forgive so that we can experience God with fresh eyes that would engage Him in new ways. I'm just going to kind of close with this. If Jesus' spit will do that, what will his blood do? (laughs) What will his blood do? If his spit can open a man's eyes that have never been able to see again, what in the world does his blood do that was shed on Calvary do for our lives? See, some of us need to get blood washed again so that we can see again the way God wants us to see. Would you stand to your feet with me? I don't really know how to end this.